Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I'm Tara Bowen Biggs, joined as always by Blazer's outsider, Danny Morang. Hello, hello. And we have a very special guest today. Super excited to talk to the newest radio play-by-play announcer for the Portland Trail Blazers, Travis Demers. Welcome to hey. the Blazers Edge podcast and congratulations. Thank you so much. I've been waiting for, for an opportunity to do this podcast for a long time. Glad it finally finally happened. Hey man, I, I wanted to have you on on this on this awesome announcement. Uh, we didn't have the budget. We wanted to get you know Mark Mason to get you the introduction and you know kind of properly introduce you. So you're gonna have to deal with us. But uh, for me, it's fine. Thank you. I, I, I've told you a million times, man. But again, congratulations. Um, I couldn't be happier for a, a good friend of mine to fill a role that. And, and Chad doing it said it as well. You were the third voice. Named voice of the Portland Trailblazers. I, I want to kind of get right into it. What does that mean to you to be that? You know, it's it's crazy because we we all have the people that we grew up listening to, right? Whether it be Bill Shomley or Brian Wheeler. If you want to put a couple of years of Eddie Doucette in there in the mid '90s, whatever team you're a fan of, whatever city you grew up in, you have the voices that defined your childhood, right? And with so many Blazer fans feeling the way that they do about Bill Shonley, about Brian Wheeler to be the next guy in that line. I mean, it's, there aren't any words to describe what that's like. It's incredible. I'd love to take it back just a little bit and learn a little bit more about your background, where you came from and kind of the highlights about how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So I grew up in, in Westchester County, New York, It's about 45 minutes North of Manhattan. Um, it's basically Connecticut. You know, it's not, city at all it's you know it's it's very country um and i grew up wanting to be play that play announcer you know we I'm, I'm sure you know many people listening can attest to this when you're a kid and you're sitting there in your driveway and you're doing the the three two one with the fake crowd noise and all that stuff you know we we, we all did that so this is something i've always wanted to do and then i went to college on long island I went to long island university and my sophomore year, I was doing play-by-play for our school's football team, um, men's and women's basketball, did some lacrosse some baseball, a little bit of everything. And the, the first job opportunity that I got was when I graduated in 2003 um, to do high school football and basketball in Astoria and Seaside, Oregon. So that was my, my first the big time. Um, yeah, my first <laughs> paying on-air gig. I moved 3,000 miles across the country sight on scene 16 years ago for that. And um, that's kind of where I got my start. And I, 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 I did that for a year and then I got on with, you know, the fan in, in Portland as kind of a, you know, a board op entry level type thing. And I still did some play by play of high school football and stuff and you know, little things here and there. I did the Portland lumberjacks, but as you know, I, I progressed with the fan and I was there for seven years, I kind of put the, the play by play stuff, to the side. And I thought, okay, well, I can still do this a little bit and have some, you know, fun as like a side thing, but 
the talk show side is, is where I have a better chance of, of having a, a career. And after seven years there, I moved to Washington, D.C., and I worked for SiriusXM for a year and a half. Uh, I was a, uh, an update anchor across all the channels and a host on SiriusXM College Sports, ESPNU Radio. And then I came back to Portland for another job at uh, 1080 in June of 2012. Well, after two and a half years, they decided to make a change, and I lost that job. And that's when I got the job at iHeart for Rip City Radio about 10 months later, and that's where I've been ever since. But, you know, I've filled in. I've done some University of Portland stuff on TV and radio. I've done some Hillsborough Hops, OSAA, a bunch of different stuff to where, you know, I've, I've done enough play-by-play for the last 20 years that when, when two years ago the Blazers called me and said, hey, we need somebody tomorrow last minute to do the Maccabi Haifa preseason game. Um, I was like, wait, you, you want me to broadcast <laughs> a trailblazers game and you want me to do that tomorrow? Yeah, I think I can make that work. So that was the, the one game that I did two years ago and the last year they needed somebody to fill in. And I was, I guess what I did two years ago in that one game was, was good enough to get that opportunity. And now here we are. That's so that's so awesome. So you said you've always wanted to be a play-by-play announcer. I'm really curious if there is a like specific method or course of study that people who and ultimately become play-by-play announcers go through or is it do you just make it up as you go along? Oh, you can totally make it up as you go along. Like for for some people like the the new radio voice of the Clippers, Noah Eagle, when you have a father who's I Eagle who's been doing it his entire life, like that helps. And he's, he's good. I'm not in any way trying to, to bash him. He is, he's terrific. You wouldn't know he's 22 years old listening to him, but most people don't get that opportunity. There aren't a whole lot of Joe bucks out there. Yeah. Um, or the Carey families like this is, you know, I did it for three years in, in college and didn't have a whole lot of direction with it. Um, the only way to, to do it is, is to do it. Um, that's why you see like so many baseball guys, you know, just sitting there in the minor leagues for 25 years because they never get that opportunity to get to that next level. It's just so difficult to be in the right place at the right time and have somebody, the right person hear your tape or see you or know you. And a lot of it is connections, but you know, you've got to be good at what you do. So it's just, it, there's, there's no, um, there's no map, right? There, there are a bunch of different roadways to get there. And they're all things that you think you can do when you're 21 years old. And I thought, Oh yeah, I'm going to be, you know, on ESPN by the time I'm 25. That, that didn't quite work out that way, you know? <laughs> so like, you know, when you were a kid, did you turn off the sound and just call the games over, you know, whatever you were watching? Did you spend a lot oh, totally. of time listening? I mean, what are some of the different things that you did to get on your path? So yeah, I, I definitely turned down the TV and all that stuff. Um, I would do it when I, when I was playing video games. I would do it when I was, you know, watching games. And for me, growing up, it was you know the Knicks, the Yankees, the Rangers, you know, Giants, New York teams. So I would I would either be listening to those guys who were calling those games, or I'd be doing it myself, or when I was playing video games or in the driveway with my friends. And at night, you know, in my room, I I had a TV in my room when I was in sixth grade, but I was never allowed to watch it at night because. Um, I probably could have been doing better in school. I'll just put it that way. Uh, so I wasn't really allowed to watch TV at night. So I would turn on my radio and I would sit there and I would watch the radio. I listened to John Sterling call the Yankees or Marv Albert and Mike Breen call the Knicks or Howie Rose call the Rangers. Um, you know, I, I've listened to games every single night. 
And that's kind of when I, when I fell in love with it because it's what I did every night. That's, that's what I wanted to do. And as much as I liked TV, radio was, was always what I wanted. Okay, that was going to be my follow-up question, is the difference between radio and TV. Because for me, I'm sorry I interrupted you, Dan, but this was like kind of one of the (laughs) questions I really wanted to get to. For me, like radio, uh, I I really connected to the Trailblazers through the radio because, you know, when my kids were little and I'd be driving all over town, I'd be listening to the radio. When we couldn't get the games on TV, we could always get it on the radio. And I feel like, you know, things have changed a little bit in terms – like. For me now, it's harder to find it on the radio because, well, because you have an app and you have to download the app and you have to find the right station and maybe it's blacked out. And, you know, so um, my curious, my curiosity for you was like, did you always want to do radio? Um, I mean, and what do you see are the differences between those two media? Yeah, I, I did always want to do radio because I always kind of I, I related more to the, the radio broadcasters and all of the and I'm I'm, I'm a history nerd when it comes to sports, so all of like these these big time calls in in baseball history and basketball history they were all you know they were all radio calls um, and I would I would recite these calls. My parents had got me a couple of books when I was younger that had that came with either audio tapes or CDs of these these great calls, and it was in all sports. So I heard. You know the, uh, the the Giants win the pennant call from 1951, uh, one game or three game playoff between the Giants and Dodgers. I knew every word of that call by heart. Um, I listened to you know when the Rangers won the '94 Eastern Conference Finals to get to the Stanley Cup. I was listening to that double overtime at like one in the morning, and I at 12 years old I knew every word of that radio call, and that's I mean that's what I wanted to do. I, I TV's great, and I've done some TV, but they're, they're different animals because on, on TV, the, the pictures paint the picture, right? People can see what's going on. On radio, you have to be the eyes and ears for everybody. And I just remember growing up and sitting there at 12, 13 years old, being able to picture in my mind's eye what the announcer was talking about and felt like I was there. And that's, that's what I've always wanted to do. Trev, what has the transition been like for you now mentally where last year – when you're feeling filling in for wheels, you're you're filling in, and you're 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 walking in the shoes of two legends, when Sean's and Wheels. Now that this is this is your gig, what what do you look forward to? What's the transition going to be like? What's what's your mindset going into games now when you're going into call? I I don't know honestly because like I've, I've told you this before, Danny. Like last year, being the fill in guy, you don't want to be the guy that gets in somebody's way. You don't mm-hmm. want to be the guy who screws up, right? Most of the time, like you know, like, like an official, right? You, you know the officials' names of the guys that you don't like, yeah. right? Nobody, nobody knows, nobody notices the uh, the referee who makes all the right calls because that's the guy who's you know doesn't affect the outcome of the game or the guy that nobody notices. That's what it was like being the filling guy. You get on the plane. I didn't want to. Uh, I wanted to be kind of seen and not heard. And as a radio guy, that might sound weird that I didn't want to be heard. <laughs> but you know, outside of my job, I just I, I wanted to to kind of stay away. I didn't want to sit in somebody's seat on the bus, which I accidentally sat in CJ's seat on the on the first bus trip. <laughs> I didn't I didn't want to do stuff like that because if people are noticing you, it's usually not a, a good thing as the fill-in. So I guess just kind of wrapping my head around the fact that it that it's my job now. And I can I can handle things differently. And you can have last your own year, I didn't seat. know. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, like last year, I didn't, I didn't know how many games I was going to be doing. I didn't know when I was going to be done. I didn't know any of that stuff. So now that I've got just, I'll just be more comfortable with it. And from there, I'll kind of find my way, which I don't really know what that is yet. But, you know, at least now I can, you know, I can have the confidence to do that. Do you go back and listen to your games after they're after they're over? Sometimes, like, you know, just being totally honest, this isn't something that I've um, hit or anything like that. But there were some calls that I had last year that I was really disappointed with, that I was annoyed because I thought that call sucked. You know, there were a couple where I I just was kind of cursing myself out, you know, in my brain because, like, I wasn't going to get a lot of opportunities to do this, or at least a thought. So you want to make all of these big moments you know, the best they can possibly be. So I put a lot of pressure on myself to, to do that. And there were some times where I'm like, this is bad. And some of those I didn't want to listen to. And, you know, some other people are like, dude, you, you're not as, it's not what you think it is. You need to go back and listen. And going back to listen, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be, but it's still <laughs> not where I wanted that to be. You know, and Dan, you know, it's not a perfectionist, man. Like I, yeah. I want everything to be perfect. And I, I have gone back and listened to a lot of my calls there are some of them where I just know that, that I could have done better. And then I wanted to go back and listen to the ones that I thought were really good. So I could <laughs> kind of make sure that like, all right, if, if I've got a whole game, like that was a great game. I want to listen and see what wasn't good. So I can say, okay, that's where I can be better. That's where I can be better. That's where I can do this better. Uh, I said this way too many times. I repeated this and it's such a repetitive game that you don't, you don't want to keep saying the same things over and over and over and over again. So finding different creative ways, to to describe the same things that are happening like that's that's a big key too because like that's one of the reasons why i listen to kind of pick up on what i've overused you know to, to give a little peek behind the curtain just real quick Tara, when when travis had the the, the part-time gig me and him talked a lot about you know different calls and, and they were syncing up his calls with our end game highlights on the show I told him about that. He's like, wait, wait, can, can you get those for me? I want to, I want to see how it sounds and how, how it all matches up. And every time I, I showed him one, he was like, I could have done that better. I could have done that better. Every single yeah. time. I was like, that was great. And the one thing, and you, and you, and you finally got it. Travis is like, before this ends, no matter what happens next year, no matter what happens in the future, I just want to be able to call one game winner. And he gets the, <laughs> and he gets the game winner. And uh, the first thing I talked to him afterwards, he's like, I blew it. <laughs> he's like, I That's just wanted exactly it to be good. Well, you know, with that game, so we're, we're in LA. It's the, the last road game of the, of the regular season, right? Or is it second? I don't know. Yeah, it was, it yeah. was the, the, the game where, where Harkless hit the, the, the buzzer beater. Well, for most of the games, we're not on the floor. That game, we're on the floor. And I'm all the way on the opposite foul line. And I had the referee in my way. I had like a couple of players in my way. So I never really saw what happened. And then I had to look up at the monitor and try and, and, and pick it up. And that was one of the challenging things for me was learning when to take my eyes off of the action and look at the monitor when I'm doing a game on the floor because I was blocked and trying to, you know, kind of get that, that rhythm down. And that's why some of the TV guys like Calabro, they have to do that all the time. And a lot of times when you're doing it, when you're calling the action, off the monitor backwards from the way that you're seeing it. And that's, that's a skill that I need to figure out. Wow. Calling it back. Oh, I, from, yeah, I, I sit on the side of the arena where the jumbotron is going in the same direction as the play. So one time I sat on the other side 
and the jumbotron was going the opposite direction, and I felt like seasick the entire game because I just I right. couldn't get my legs under me. But to have to like talk and describe and like, do you say left and right when you're on there? Like it takes yeah, me yeah, totally. you know, five seconds to figure out left from right every single time I say it. How do you do it so quickly? When I don't have to worry about the monitor, then I don't even think about it because sometimes we'll be on the opposite side. So if you're watching it on TV, it'll be the opposite view of what I'm seeing. So it'll be right to left on TV, but the Blazers are going left to right for me on radio. So I don't even think about that. But where I get tripped up is when it's that way, but I can ha- I need the monitor to, to call some of that stuff. And that's where, that's where I get tripped up a little bit. And that's something that as, as the season went on, I kind of figured out like, okay, I know when I'm, I'm going to have this you know point of view that I have to do it that way. And, you have to kind of think ahead and, and train yourself to do that. Well, it sounds like you are maybe your harshest critic because I oh, think definitely. your work is absolutely fantastic. But I'm curious, what were some of your highlights that you thought that you did really well or just highlights in general of being able to cover the team last season? And in terms of the, the games that I thought were my best, like the, the four overtime game was was awesome. And when we were done with that, I, I had it in my head like the whole time, like once we started getting into overtime, like any of these moments could be like the one. So don't screw it up. You know? <laughs> and and I, I felt like that was that was one of my best ones. But just having the opportunity to to experience something that I've literally wanted to do my entire life and be able to go into different arenas and not just do one preseason game, but be able to do a good chunk of a season and get into a flow and get to know the team and, and feel like I, I grew and got better and had an opportunity. Like I, I've wanted to do this for, for 30 years, you know, I'm, I'll be 38 years old next month. And this is something I've wanted to do since I was eight years old. So something that, you know, having the opportunity to do what you want to do since you were a kid and then getting to live that out, it, it felt like a dream. I felt like I was living somebody else's life. And I was just waiting for it to end. And not only did it end, this is this is my job now. Trap, uh, you're a Blazers guy through and through. You've been out here for a long time now. You love this team. Yep. But in, in your core, you're a New York guy. Last year, you got the opportunity yeah. to call a game at the Garden. What was that like for you? And, you know, I hadn't been back to the, the garden since I was a kid. Well, not really a kid. I guess college. Now, so, yeah, a kid, basically. But, you know, like you said, I've been out in Portland for, for 16 years. And people keep, you know, I've had a few people say to me, well, well, you're a Knicks fan. How can you be the, the Blazers guy? Well, you know, Wheels didn't grow up here. He's a Bill Chicago Donald guy. didn't grow up here. Yeah. Exactly. And, and not just that, like, just because something is your first love doesn't mean that it's your best love. You know, yeah. we, we don't we don't marry the first girl or the first guy that we date. Right. Your first <laughs> love is not not your best love. And, you know, in this case, I didn't, I didn't marry the first girl I dated. She's, you know, sitting back in New York, you know, 50 games under 500. Well, I'm going out with the girl. It's the Western Conference final. You know? Life is pretty good there. Oh, dunking but, on the Knicks is always appreciated. So good. But having the opportunity to, <laughs> right. Having the opportunity to, to like, to drive up to Madison Square Garden on the bus and then walk through the bowels of the arena and, and just walk out onto the floor when it was quiet and there was nobody out there. And I walk along the the baseline and, and some of the people on, you know, that were traveling knew that this was, you know, a big deal for me. And they, a couple of people took pictures and, uh, you know, had some jokes for me and stuff like that. But 
just like a true Knicks fan would, Danny, I, uh, I walked out to the spot where Patrick Ewing missed the layup in uh, 95 <laughs> game seven against the Pacers. And I'm like, Oh, this is, uh, this is where I, why I cried when I was 13 years old. <laughs> you know? I had to do that. And it was just, it was awesome. Did you get a chance to go sit in Spike's seat? No, no, I didn't. I, I, I did my interview with coach and then took the elevator up to where they have us banished to, uh, up at the, up at MSG and, and called the game. And it would turn out to be a great game too. I, this is, this is the last kind of, uh, personal one. I know a lot of people have, have probably thrown at you already. Um, how many catchphrases are you kicking around in the car right now? Yeah, none, honestly. Um, and and I, I've told this before, like Bill Shonley didn't go into that night saying, you know what, I'm going to say Rip City and yep. it's going to change everything in Portland. Um, I know some of the stuff that, that Wheels did and that, that Shonley did, you know, the, the bingo, bango, bongo, the boom shakalaka, that was stuff that they, that they did. But for me, like, I don't, I don't want to make stuff up and have it sound forced, right? I, I want it to come off naturally. And that's one of the things that I was so proud about in that, that four overtime games, that there were so many moments and so many of them sounded different. And I didn't think about any of them. Um, and I don't, I don't want to, to be the guy who's going to the well of shtick, but at the same time, everybody wants a catchphrase. So at some point, I'm sure something will come up organically, but I know for me, like if I try and force it, it's going to sound terrible and, and being the new guy, you don't you don't want to do anything like that to draw that kind of attention to yourself. Yeah, it's like giving yourself your own nickname. You got to wait for it to happen. Yeah, you can't do that. Yeah. I'm not Kobe. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure it's going to happen, and I can't wait to find uh, figure out what it is. We told you that we would get you out of here on time. So, um, Dan, do you have any last questions? No, I just I just want to say congratulations again, man. Uh, I've I've been behind the scenes and I've watched you work, and uh, you deserve this, buddy. I really appreciate you saying that a lot. You know, Danny, you're a good friend, and you know, Tara, hope uh, we get an opportunity to meet here soon. And you know, anytime you guys need anything, please, you know how to get hold of me. Absolutely, brother. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, we wish you all the best. You're going to have a super fantastic year, as are the Blazers. And, uh, yeah, just thanks for coming on the show, and I hope maybe we can do it again because I got, like, 12 more questions on my list, so we didn't get to, <laughs> get to so Anytime, I'd be happy to. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks. Well, take care and have a great day. Okay, well, that was awesome. It was super cool to talk to Travis and um, learn a little bit more about him. And I'm like, I don't know about you, but I'm super fascinated by the whole like inner workings of like, how does it actually work? So the next Mm -hmm. time we get him on the podcast, I want to ask him like, who are all of the people and what is it they are doing uh, during a radio broadcast? Because he's he's solo right like there is no color and i don't believe there's an analyst that they they may have casey fill in from time to time like they did last year they may let travis do it solo uh i don't think they've made an official decision one way or the other but it's not like the old days where there was pretty much always two so i always think exactly it must be like kind of lonely and it must be kind of like nerve-wracking but there's always got there's also got to be other people you know, who are making it happen, like the producer and the people, I'm sure there's people giving him information and numbers and stuff like that, but yeah, yeah, it was was very cool. Yeah. You've got people back in the studio, the, the, the nighttime producers, and you've got uh, the little general Dave Barbaris running the board, helping out. So, um, the, the cool thing about being 
friends with Trav and being around him and Chad and the other guys that, that do this kind of stuff on the regular is you get personally, I get to see kind of behind the scenes and it's just, it's easy to make this stuff look, it is not easy at all. They, they really are true professionals. So it's, it's very, very cool to see. Yeah, and I uh, I can't wait to find out what catchphrase does develop because I totally get what he's saying about like you don't want to come in and like here's my mm-hmm. catchphrase or whatever. It's got to be organic. Um and you never I think you probably never know what's going to catch on because like, you know, Bill Shonley said that, you know, he did have like several different phrases that he was trying out and, you know, Rip City was one of them. Um but he wasn't like you know, sure, that was what he was going to make his thing. He talked about it. I was like, you know, he had several things and it just kind of came out. And then the guys looked at him and were like, yes, use that. Yeah, If you're completely divorced from the idea of a Rip City, like if you don't know what it means, if you're not a basketball fan, it just sounds random as hell. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's it, not something you would associate with basketball, but because of. Sean Lee's inflection because of how he said it and the 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 moment that it hit, it resonated. And there's just no way to predict that. I mean, if you look at the greatest calls in sports, and Travis was talking about that, there's no way. Like, it's there's so many things that go into that particular moment. I mean, Wheels has his thing, or had his thing with uh, alliteration. But I mean, there were certain alliterations that stuck more, right? There was the Doc Rivers, you know, biting through a rope. So Maddie could bite through a rope. That was like my favorite one. Yeah, but because you knew that in your head, if you were watching that game or if you had seen Doc Rivers before, <laughs> you could picture that look immediately. And those are the things that just they just stick. And it's 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 just an incredible feeling that you can only relate back to the guys that are making those calls. And so I'm really excited to see what what comes up from throughout his career. Right. Yeah. What are some of your favorite phrases from the or favorite calls, um, you know, that you can that like really stick in your mind? Uh, you know, my whole family's Dodgers fans. So, uh, Gibson coming up to bat, you know, with, with, with one leg, that one definitely sticks out. Um, obviously down goes Frazier, even though I wasn't a part of it, you know, I wasn't living it. You've seen it so many times that, you know, that, that pops up, um, for the Blazers. I mean, it's all the rip city calls, but the, the one I think that that sticks out the most is God, it's, it's gotta be one of Dame shots. It's gotta be Brandon's corner three against Dallas and wheels is, I believe believe it was wheels call on the Kobe to Shaq lob. Oh, (laughs) you you could just hear the defeat. Yeah. (laughs) Like those, those like it, not all, not all of them are good, obviously, Mm -hmm. but I think the, the, the ones that are sad, I think those ones can can carry emotions too. Hell, a, 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 a simple, not simple, but a, a, a recent sad one was when Nurk went down. Like hearing that call come out over the air, and you know he looks like he's hurt. You know th- those those things can just stand out, and, and like how you capture those moments can can really stick with you. One of my favorite Brian Wheeler games was one of my favorite games ever anyway, and that was the Andre Miller uh, 52-point game. Oh, God. (laughs) Um, Because I was driving all – like I I think I was having one of those where I had like 
the kids needed to be in three different places in three different parts of town. And so I was driving all over town, picking up, dropping off, you know, carpooling, doing all this stuff. And I was listening to that game. And it was so clear that I think Brian Wheeler was having almost as much fun as Andre Miller was, (laughs) except for that he was less tired at the end than Andre Miller was. But just like you could hear, you know, um, you know, Brian Wheeler get amped up more and more and more as it just became clear that Andre Miller was never, ever going to miss again. And it was, yeah, it was, it was really, it was fun. call I, that game in that manner with the way Andre scores. I mean, cause he did that with only one three, I believe. Uh-huh. I think he got a 52 with one three. So that's a lot of shots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, like that, that isn't a Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, 40 or 50 point game where they hit like 10, 11, 10, 12, 30. threes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of twos and that's a lot of shots to call. And when they just, when a player is just in their bag like that, it, it's, it's fun because especially yeah. with Andre, with the way he, he's so different in the way he played the game. Like that, that. See, now you make me want to try to track that that call down because I know the Blazers have it somewhere. Well, they have a highlight YouTube video of it on uh, of all of the plays, but it's with Brian Wheeler calling the game. And it's absolutely. Oh, God, like, I, I got to find that. Listen to it every night before you go to bed. Yeah. It's like the oh, greatest thing ever. That's fantastic. Well, let's bring it up to the present and uh, talk about last week the Sports Illustrated Top 100 came out. We had three Blazers <laughs> mentioned in it. It was a uh, very – we talked about this a little bit earlier. It was a very different SI Top 100 because Portland's own Ben Gulliver was not involved in it, which was a little different because he's been involved, in, I think, in all of them in the last six years. Yeah, he – him and uh, – and, uh... Uh, Rob Mahoney had been the co-authors of it in, in, in its inception. And so Rob actually did it solo this time. And 100 players writing, what, two? Or- yeah, like a couple hundred words about each one. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a tour de force. I wonder how many times he cursed Ben for not being there and making him have to write every single one of them. I, I saw somebody on Twitter the other day say that they saw somebody who had printed out all 100 reviews or ball player rankings one through or one through a hundred printed them out at work and we had them stapled together and was flipping through them all uh <laughs> on, on the subway or the rail or somewhere uh and i was like man that's that's a lot of ink like that that's that's a lot of pages yeah that's a lot that's a lot well so so three blazers made the list and i guess my first question to you is do you think you know, so there's the top 100, there's, you know, over 400 players, you know, but not too much over. Um, so that's about, so top 100 is going to include about a quarter of the league. And, you know, let's say the Blazers have t- like, you know, say 12, like real rotation players. So, you know, a quarter of the Blazers made the the list. Do you think we should be sad? Do you think that's satisfying? Like, how do you feel about just like the number of Blazers that are on the list? Uh, I, I think that the three guys are probably there, obviously, between Dame, CJ and Nurk for spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've seen some people that like Whiteside was like right on the outside looking in. Uh, for reference, Aminu was on the list. I believe he's right behind Nurk at 80 something. 80, 84. Yeah. So, um, kind of shows you what how one person in particular uh, and and who he's talking to how he rates particular players so of the top quarter players in the league the Blazers have a quarter of the top quarter mm-hmm. I mean does that feel about right to you or is it just kind of like come on they should have had more 
Or just as far as like team building, like, you know, uh, obviously has, you know, a bunch of players or whatever. I mean, is that just like, I don't know. I was just kind of thinking about that. That seems about right to me, but I don't know if everybody else would think it was right. <laughs> I think four is probably the number you're shooting for. And you, you could have that, obviously, in a guy like Whiteside. Um, if Hood turns into form, hell, if Anthony Simons blows up. Um, if Zach Collins takes the step that everybody hopes he's taking, um, I, I could see that 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 should kind of be the number you're looking for if you're a competitive team. But I think that kind of goes back to what we talked about last week, and I think it's going to be the the storyline of the season. It's opportunity. The Blazers have three guys, well, really two right now because mm-hmm. Nurk's not there until February, and that opportunity is going to be there for guys to really really shine. Like if you look at this list, it is littered with guys in the 50 to, you know, the hundred range of guys who weren't there before. Like if you had told me, uh, guys who are on team USA. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, how many people really thought that, that, that baby Sabonis was going to be a, a, a top 75 player in the league. He, he's on that list. Lowry Markin and Montrez Harrell. Like those are the guys, those are the three guys right in front of Yusuf, Yusuf Nurkic. Mm-hmm. Like, just given the right amount of time and opportunity, I think guys can can really win things over. Well, let's talk about the Blazers who did make the list, and then we'll talk about who we think is going to make the list next. Um, so starting for, with Nurkic, it was the lowest-ranked Blazer, and he was 78 up from – or down, I guess, from last year. He was 64. And, you know, obviously um, taken into consideration was that he's not going to play a lot this season so it's kind of hard to rank him but he still made the list how are you feeling about Yusuf Nurkic's position on the list I will say this the 78th and, and Mahoney does clarify it with um his exact phrasing you should go without saying that a fully healthy healthy Nurkic would rank higher than number 78 so don't don't send him the hate mail mm-hmm. um realistically I think Nurkic is easily a top top 40 top 50 player in the league mm-hmm. when uh, I don't think they're gonna get a lot of pushback on that uh, for especially for what he means to this team in particular, so I, I think he did him a, a, a fair service here with with where he slotted at due to the fact that he's going to miss the majority of the season. Uh, so I, I don't really have anything against where he's he's ranked. Where do you think Nurkic is in terms of all centers in the league? Uh, I guess do you think are de- like definitely better than him? Okay, so I'm going to put him beat above him. I'm going to put Gobert above him. Um, trying to think who else I'm going to put up. I, 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 no, obviously, Jokic, I'm going to put above him right now, as much as I hate to say that. But statistically, Jokic is just a, a monster. But I, yeah, I, I mean, Jokic has, I mean, Nurkic has uh, depth, but Jokic has a whole different level of versatility. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he's, he's a very, very unique player. And this is not a slight at Nurk. I think Nurk's, Nurk's one of the players in the league that I, that I enjoy watching and, and, and just everything about him in general. So um, in, in that regard, I have him as a top 10 guy. What about uh, like Carl center? Anthony Towns? I, see, now that's exactly where I was going to go. You get the next kind of tier. And I have zero issue with anybody putting Nurkic as a top five center in the league. Like I, I think he's that valuable. Um, with the way centers are, and we've we've seen guys do this. Nurk is the third, fourth option on this team. Like depending on the night and depending on the matchup, right? But when he's the matchup, this man eats. Like how many guys out there can can do what he's done? 
like his Sacramento game. Like that's that's insane level of production. Uh, twenty twenty nights are not like a, a rarity for him. Like he that's that's something he can hit pretty pretty damn often. So um, for guys like Embiid, who are certainly the feature of their team, you, you expect that kind of production. But I think that next tier of guys. I think Nurk's a guy that when he's given the opportunity can go absolutely insane. And I think you get the other stuff, the the defense, the rebounding, uh, the rim protection, all that kind of stuff, and the playmaking uh, on a nightly basis. And what about Whiteside in terms of – do you think he's like a top 10 center? Uh, I, I think he can top, be. I think I he think, yeah. definitely can be. Like the, the potential for his numbers to be there I, I think are, are certainly – like. The the thing that I've always said about Nurkic, and, and this is back, you know, by, by what Damian Lillard said, it's like Nurk should be 17 and 12. That's what Dame said when they got him. And that's kind of what he's approaching, right? Like I, before he got hurt, that's, that's how he's playing. Uh, I think Whiteside could be that, but I don't think it's quite as effective in a sense that he gobbles up rebounds that, that other guys would get. Like we joked about this a ton, right, Tara? How many rebounds did Aminu take from Nurkic on a nightly basis? When when Nurk just kind of gave him that look, like, come on, man, uh-huh. <laughs> Whiteside's not going to allow that to happen. So I think his numbers may reflect that a little bit better. I think I think Whiteside's rebounding range and radius is a little bit bigger, so the numbers might look a little bit better. But I think the impact isn't going to be quite as big. But I could see him being in that top ten, top twelve rank. Um, to start the season as far as centers go. I think as far as Whiteside goes is that I think it's not going to take long for him to put up the numbers like you've said. But if within the time that he's with the Trailblazers, if he can figure out what his role is, I think he can have a really big impact. Yeah, I think that's, again, we're, we're, I'm going to beat this to death. The opportunity. Like, and that it doesn't come with just like how much somebody sees the ball. It's what their role is and whether they can fill it. It's not about the only guy who's going to be in a perfect position to succeed every night is Damian Lillard because the team is built around him. And how everybody else slots into those roles is what's really going to matter. And if Whiteside can embrace that role as the role guy, like legitimately as the pick and roll role guy. As the the finisher, the play finisher, as the defensive anchor at the rim, um, and maybe some supplementary playmaking, then uh, I I don't think it's going to be hard to see him uh, excel in that range. Well, the thing that I really hope that he can do is uh, provide those screens and help Damian get the space and help CJ get the space because mm-hmm. we've talked about that a lot too. Is you know how much. Uh, some of the players who are not available to the Blazers this year, how much, how important they were to giving these guards the room to maneuver. Uh, And that's kind of what I mean about like the role, because that's a, that's a thing that you don't get any stats for, you know? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, So, so the next player on the list next trailblazer who made it was CJ last season. He was ranked number 33 going into the season this year. He comes out at 32. How you feeling about that? This is God. I'm gonna get myself in trouble with this. <laughs> this Go is kind on. Of, this is kind of what I've always said about uh, optimizing players. This team, like I just said, is about Damian Lillard and how everybody else kind of fits in around it. It's a good fit. 
but it's not a perfect fit. I think CJ would elevate himself if he was the primary focus uh, on another team. And it's not a slight against him at all. I, I think CJ would be a top 20 player. That That's that's or, or 20 to 25 is where I should kind of put it. Um, I, I think being in this role, it does drop him down, his effectiveness down just a little bit. Um, but it also kind of highlights the difference between um, other two-star teams. LeBron and AD, that's a, a disgusting duo. Steph and Clay, that's a disgusting duo. Paul George and Kawhi, that's a disgusting duo. Wait, can you clarify what you mean by a disgusting duo? Like, what do you the, mean by that? They're they're near perfect fits as far as with each how other? they're going to play off each other. Correct. And I know some people were like, "Wait, LeBron and AD? LeBron's a, a a playmaker that does not get the respect that he deserves at that level. And if AD is playing um, like AD has played in the past off other guys, off playmakers, the production is going to be insane." Um, Stephen Clay. That's that's the premier one-two matchup, maybe in NBA history with how well those two guys complement each other. But why are Dame and CJ so different from them? Is it solely because of Clay's defense? I, I think the, the defense, is that the, not necessarily. And uh, I, I think how, how Clay moves off the ball. I, I think he's, he's a, he's you don't a think CJ moves effectively off the ball. No, like no, no. Clay does? no. I, I think that they're, they're probably one and two, but I think Clay's a Clay's ability defensively and his desire to be the spot up guy matches up more effectively with how Steph creates gravity and how those two play off each other. Now, Dave and CJ play off of each other very, very well. It's not the James Harden, Chris Paul, your turn, my turn stuff. Like we, you can see that happen last year, right? You can be like, okay, I've had my fair share. Now it's your turn to go. When Dame and CJ are playing off each other, it's much more natural. They 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 fill each other's roles, you know, back and forth as the as the uh, lead initiator and the the play finisher or the secondary creator. But I think it could be optimized further if they were different parts. Does that make sense? No. What do you mean by different parts? If like if CJ, they were both guards, if CJ was 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 on a different team. Like I, I, I think that the, if if CJ was was the, the the primary guy, and I I think they have gone to the point where I, I I don't doubt them. I just think it could be optimized better, playing off each other. It, it's it's a near perfect fit, but like if you're looking for perfect fits, I think you're looking at Steph and Clay. And again, that's a, like it's okay that they're not the perfect fit. Like when I said Steph and Clay, they may be the best one two ever as far as how they play off each other and the production that you get from those two. Like when you're well, you're like, well, you're not measuring up to those guys. Well, no crap. <laughs> like, but like, this is just this is just me in in my head. Like, if I'm if I'm hoping for the the perfect scenario, the perfect matchup, I just don't think it's the perfect fit. It's not that it's not a it's not a ba- that it's a bad fit. It's still a great fit. But I think that those those little things when you get to the elite, like the highest of levels, the, those little differences are what separate one pair from another. So. If I could summarize, you're you believe that Dame and CJ are an excellent fit, although not perfect. Correct. There are elite other duos that are as close to perfect as you would like to say, like um, Steph and Clay, mm-hmm. or 
uh, AD and LeBron, and you didn't really talk about Paul George and Kawhi, but I think, are you thinking that they're oh, yeah. perfect together? Yeah, like, and I know we haven't seen this, but like Paul George has played with the most ball-hungry ball stopper on the face of the planet in Russell Westbrook and put up obscene production. I'm I'm very very certain that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard can play off each other, mm-hmm. uh, and and the way they can interchange between two, three, and four positionally is gonna be interesting. Okay, I I still think that and so and then as a result because of this almost but not perfect fit, you think that CJ would have a higher ranking on SI top 100 if he was on a different team not playing along. Damian Lillard. So not uh, yes. to say that it's bad that they're playing together, but you think he would get more recognition as an Absolutely. individual player if he was on his own, had his own team to run. If you put CJ in Brooklyn last year instead of D'Angelo Russell, mm-hmm. I think you would, you would, people nationally would look at CJ McCollum much, much differently than they do with him in Portland. I think everybody looks at Portland and, and rightfully so it's, it's Dame, but in it's Dame and CJ. Like it's it's always like well it's you know like what what could be and and I, it almost feels like a backhanded compliment but it's it's just kind of weird how um, the the national perspective is of CJ. What is weird about it? People want to give him his props, but also they kind of like well Dame does a lot, you know. And it's like I, I I've talked to people around the league, and the the the, the one thing that I always ask different players when it comes to guarding Dame and CJ. The one question I asked damn near every one of them is who's tougher to guard Dame or CJ. And they always come back with Dame's tougher to guard because you don't know what he's going to do. Like when is he going to pull up off the screen? Is he going to keep going? Is he going to, you know, go into a step back? Is he going to go to the rim? Is he going to go to the rack? And then they'll follow that up with CJ. You know where he wants to get to and you know how to stop him, but he still gets there and you still can't stop him. Yeah. Well, I think Mahoney actually did a really good job of describing how CJ plays, and I don't have it in front of me. If you have it in front of me, or in front of you, but he talked about how Dame or CJ doesn't have a first move and a second move, but he also has a third move, and he can go even farther if he needs to. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that it sounds like people were saying makes CJ so hard to uh, to guard is that. You know, you have to just keep, keep countering because he has more and more counters. And so, you yeah. just, you know, till the end of the night, CJ could keep pulling out other moves out of his bag. Whereas Damien is just so good on that first move and you don't know what it's going to be. It's it's just gone before you even had a chance to decide what to do. Whereas CJ, you might be more in a, a dance with him for a little bit longer. And, and in that exact scenario, that dance, I think if he's the lead ball handler, the lead creator – I think you get to you. You're exposed to more of that. You're exposed to the counter, the counters, counter, the counters, counter to the counter, like earlier in the game. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think if he, if we got to see him in that scenario, you would people would have more respect for his game. And I think that's why I go when if I say divorce him from CJ or for, from Damian, um, people would be more aware and more respectful of what his actual game is. But that's a hypothetical, and that's not mm-hmm. going to happen. Like, I think we know by now, unless oh, yeah. something drastic happens, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so so does it, it sounds like you feel like 32 for CJ, where he is now playing alongside Damien, feels like just about right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, I was kind of surprised. I guess, I guess Clay was low 
he was really low this year, but I guess it's because of his injury and not knowing enough about whether or not he was going to be back or not, I guess. Yeah, exactly. But I was kind of surprised at how far those two were apart until I remembered the the injury. Well, I'm still telling you it's going to be the season of CJ. I think CJ is going to uh, come up with something new that's going to make everybody go, oh, my God, now what? Now how are we going to handle the Blazers now that CJ can do this? It's going to be awesome. From your lips, you know? Yep. <laughs> okay, so we've got Dame number 10. How do you feel about Dame, like, in the Sports Illustrated Top 100, now he's a top 10 player? About bleeping time. Yeah. I've been screaming this from the mountaintops for the last three years. Damian Lillard's a top 10 player, and I get with, well, Kemba's there, Bradley Beal, or Jimmy Butler, and I'm like, go to hell. <laughs> like, just stop. Like, how many times does this guy have to prove you wrong? And <laughs> I did a uh, interview for um, Sirius, a season preview, I don't know, a week ago. And one of the hosts asked me, like, well, where do you put Russell Westbrook now uh, in the pegging order of, of point guards? I'm like, listen, man, it's Steph number one. Then there's a drop. Then there's Dame. And then there's a drop. And then I don't care where you put that dude. I don't care because the two best point guards in the NBA right now are Steph and Dame. Everybody else is fighting for scraps. Like the Steph is Steph is point God. He he's I, I think he's now at the point where whether you want to put Magic there or you want to put Steph there, th- those are the two best point guards in NBA history. Like and, and Dame being like in the conversation with Steph at times, that's good. Because when Dane's career is all said and done, we're going to look back and go, this dude was special. And I, I it, like everything, it's seemingly for Dane, it, it's come late in his career. Um, but it's just that much more satisfying. <laughs> it, it, honestly, it is. Um, but I mean, like what he did to Russell Westbrook, to a guy that is universally looked at as a surefire first ballot, Hall of Fame lock, MVP winner, all of these things, he made him run and hide. Like he, Westbrook stopped guarding him. Like he wanted no part of him. Russ was talking all this noise and rocking the baby and all this stuff, and then Dame dropped a fifty piece on their best defender and shot them off the floor and waved goodbye. Like just, just stop it all now. Like it, it's just. And granted, a part of that is just stupidity among the, the, the Thunder and not sending blitzes and traps at Damian Lillard. But listen, if you're going to do that, he's going to cook you. And and I think the, the world is finally beginning to realize that he is that dude. The thing about this top 10 list that irritates me is the one person in front of Damian Lillard immediately. <laughs> like, come on, Rob. Right. So Paul George is number nine. Yeah. Paul George, whose, you know, OKC career ended uh, with Damian Lillard shooting over him is one better on the list. But I'm I felt the same way. And then I was like, OK, I read it and I was like, OK, that's the defense. It's the versatility of Paul George and everything. And then I was like, you know what? Thank you, Rob Mahoney, because this just gives Damian Lillard one more thing. I'm sure Dave saw that was like, oh, OK, OK. I mean. It's, it's no secret that, that Chris Haynes' interview that he had with Dame going into that series where Dame said he was going to put it on his ass. Um, if those quotes were making it in the article, imagine what didn't. Like, he wanted to give it to to, to Russ and, and PG, and he did. And, like, 
I, I kind of like the fact that that people out there still went, well, Dame still doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't. Well, he doesn't do. Uh, he still hedges that little bit because Dame does. He takes every little bit of that stuff and he buries it deep inside. Yeah. And it motivates the hell out of him. And I love he it. He is fueled by when he has something to overcome. How do you feel about James Harden being significantly ranked above Damien? I mean, listen, I, I don't enjoy watching Harden's game uh, with all the, the flailing and flopping and stuff. But the man is a walking bucket. Mm-hmm. He is. It's just he doesn't get the credit he does deserve for being as strong as he is. Like the amount of times he legitimately gets hit and just powers through like he is a strong pound for pound might be one of the He's strongest guys in the he is. And because of the flopping and because of the flailing, because of the sell job, he doesn't get that credit. Um, he scores at every single level, uh, clearly gets to the free throw line. Defensively, like he's he's not good, but he's not as bad as he was. A um, uh, little, little history tip here. Um, the Blazers-Rocket series where Wes Matthews played find James Harden was the genesis of Harden actually giving a crap about his defense uh, after West posted him up. Was it four possessions in a row to start the game and just manhandled him? Mm-hmm. Uh, Harden's actually now quite an effective defender in the post. <laughs> Guys don't hunt him there uh, anymore. So uh, I guess the, 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 the Rockets have the Blazers to thank for that. But uh, so what begrudgingly the, you'll. Yeah. I mean, what he did in that, that lead up was it right after the all-star break where he had what, had like 30 oh, straight right, all those games. of games. Yeah. It was insane. Like that kind of production is just batty. Like it's when, when you're doing numbers like that and you're like, Oh, Hey, look, nobody's done this before. That's when you kind of go to, Okay. Cool. Tip the hat. <laughs> Just kind of move on. Yeah. Well, and I thought it was a little annoying that Anthony Davis was up there at six because so much of his career has just been about us discussing how good he is, but n- him not actually taking his team, you know, any farther. So I guess, except for the, of course, the one. I wasn't going to touch it, but I mean, Terry, we got to, we do have to consider this. I mean, his numbers last year, even in limited games where he likely didn't give a crap, <laughs> 26 points, 12 rebounds. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's insane. And it wasn't like he was getting massive, massive minutes. He was doing this in 33 minutes a night. And they weren't, like, force-feeding him touches. And it's like, oh, boy. Like talent wise and production wise, it's always been there. And I think people are going to skew how that relationship ended and how that whole trade demand worked out against his actual production in New Orleans in, you know, the early part of his career, because like production wise, he's been there. Um, I, I think early on in his career, he was he was hit with uh, really bad teams like around him. Well, I think this is this year. I'm really looking forward to this year, um, in part because of you know last week when I talked to Ben Taylor. You know, he has this concept in his book about portability and about whether or not you know a star on one team can also carry over um, those qualities to another team. Yeah, that's man's rare. So I'm very interested to see what. Anthony Davis is going to be able to do 
I mean, I it, almost it, called him Anthony. I'm no, going to no, start it, calling him Anthony now. I mean, it works. I mean, it, it's it's rare that that portability is so successful for for a guy like you know LeBron to be no matter where he is. He's your entire team's built around it, and it's successful. Um, I I think AD is probably right on that level, like right on that edge. Like a perfect example, I think is Kevin Love. Mm-hmm. Kevin Love was twenty six and twelve in Minnesota. That same production was not there in Cleveland because of how he had to mold his game and how he had to change his game around. Um, and but so, he as but he was extremely important to the success of the team. Yes, but those those production metrics, mm-hmm. I think, are, can definitely change pretty drastically. Um, in AD's case, I just don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> I would just like the record to show that you're the one who brought up Kevin Love. Yeah, I know. Well, I could have gone Chris Bosh, but that one's sad. Yeah, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna uh, talk any more about Kevin Love for a while until we have things to to talk about. I just wanted to mention a couple. There were only a couple other former Blazers on the list, which we touched on Aminu. Um, yeah, and then Aldridge is came in at 16, and just you know, just way to go, Lamarcus, <laughs> to have such a long career where he continues to go up i mean he's like he was 21 last year so you know i know this this is just only one survey or whatever but you know he continues to stay relevant many years into his career and i just think that we should acknowledge that mahoney captures him perfectly talking about the the overall game of Aldridge over the past six years, every team LaMarcus Aldridge has played for has won at least 47 games. Whatever reservations you may have about his game, it remains a reliable way towards stable, successful basketball, like pick and roll, pick and pop left block post up. Like when you do something so well that everybody knows is coming. And we talk about this CJ and you still can't do a damn thing to stop it. Why change it? And LaMarcus has just refined things. Now, instead of always on the left block, he goes to the right block every now and then. Can he step out and hit a three occasionally? Sure. But he's not working for that because that's not who he is. And God, I'd love to have him back. (laughs) I know. LaMarcus is like like a super comfy sweatshirt that like remains comfy forever. Like no matter how many times the washes. (laughs) I just I love it. I I I I just I, I'm so happy that he's had such a long and successful career. And I echo your sentiments about missing him. But I thought it was really interesting that there were only two former Blazers on the team, and that just got me thinking. Like, is that something that we should worry about? The fact that you know that, that there aren't that many former Blazers who are considered you know so high on you know amongst all the players in the NBA but i really think it speaks to how the blazers have been building the team over their last you know 5 or 6 years in terms of being so hyper focused on the stars and then capable but not like flashy role players around them optimization of players like i, I you, aminu probably gets more credit here than than harkless deservedly so but I mean, when Harkless came here from from Orlando, I mean, he was. I mean, they got him for nothing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they got well, him for a top fifty-five protected second-round pick, which there is, were not high expectations for. No, him. I mean that's that's the basketball equivalent of a used ball rack. 
And they, they've done that with guys with like Ed Davis was a guy coming out of college. It was thought very highly of. And then it took him a while to kind of figure out who he was and what his role is in the league. And he came here after leaving the Lakers and, and was very successful. The Blazers rehab Shabazz Napier. Um, they got away from Alan Crabb. Uh, they got off the deals, obviously, of of, of Evan and, and Myers. Um, again, this is going to go back to that whole idea of opportunity, right? So they, they cleared out guys who aren't necessarily viewed as, as uh, top-tier contributors around the league, and they're hoping that this new crop of guys can be better positioned to fill those roles. So at the end of the season, who are the Blazers who are not currently on the list that we're going to look back and go, oh, He's actually going to be on, you know, he he deserves to be on this list. Who who do you think are most likely? I'm going to go with Collins, Simons, and I think Hazonia. Maybe just because I've been watching Hazonia uh, highlights all morning <laughs> and only <laughs> highlights, not lowlights. <laughs> but well, I think Hazonia's highlights are great. Like when he shows out, he really shows out. Yeah. And again, role opportunity, if he's in mm-hmm. the right thing, you know, maybe like he's sort of a dark horse candidate for being able to like really come on the scene. And because also he's just kind of he seems to have the personality that's flashy, like Mo Harkless never really had a flashy personality. But I can see like as an outside candidate at the end of the season going, dang, Hazonia really was so much more than we thought that he was going to be. Um, I think that the. The two that I look at are probably I'm going to take this a different way are Aaron Gordon and Kevin Love. <laughs> oh, I meant Blazers. No, oh, I know. Oh, I took it a different uh, way. Guys that are going to Kevin. Okay, huh? So you oh, think- just just because I said it doesn't mean I like the idea. Just the reality of it. I think that it's going to be of the players that are in the top 100, the the most likely to be on the Blazers by the end of the season. It's Love and Gordon. Um, if the Blazers make another move or a different move, a guy I could see easily popping back up on here is Robert Covington. But of the guys that are currently on the Blazers, Simons to me is the guy. Uh, I, I, and I'm not trying to like keep all these expectations on him. I just think that with the opportunity, I think he's a guy who's poised to have a monster season and monster doesn't mean 20 points a game. Like I could see him coming off the bench and in his real first real action being a, a 12 point a game, six mankind type. And that would be massive uh, to have that coming off the bench when the Blazers just haven't had that kind of production consistently in well years. So, uh, I was just looking to see who are some of the youngest players who made it onto the list this season. I mean, Luca, but he's kind of exceptional. Yeah, you, you've um, got that Jared Allen. You've got uh, Kyle Kuzma. You've got uh, Brandon Ingram, Deontay Murray, Bam Adebayo, who was drafted, what, three picks after Zach. Uh, Derek White, Zach Levine. Uh and you've got some real old dudes. You got you still Iguodala still made the list. Jaron mm-hmm. Jackson Jr. Oh, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah, was you mean, he's he's a guy he who's a, yeah he's eighty third and realistically okay. he'd be probably a top forty player by the end of the season. Yeah, he's probably the youngest person on the list, isn't he? Yeah, because he was a kid, kid. Yeah, when he, he came was in. a baby when he came in. So I mean, it's just I guess my point being that it's you know not very uh, you know typical that the young guys unless they're you know Zion. Who will be assume will be debuting pretty high on the list next year, or like Luca, I guess for this this Trey Young. List. I mean, Trey Young's at sixty two. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, honestly, it's probably a little low. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's those transcendent guys, but then there's the guys that just kind of pop up out of nowhere um, or take a while to hit. Like John Collins, like everybody was like, well, I mean, his defense is kind of suspect, but his offense has turned out to be pretty damn good. Um, or a late developer guy like Buddy Heald. Like Buddy was kind of looked at kind of as a, a bit of a bust in his first couple of years in the league. And now he's turned into one of the best three-point shooters in the entire league. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's, you never really can tell. And again, a lot of it just comes down to, to opportunity. And that's why I think Simon's obviously in uh, Collins has that p- potential too, because he's going to have the biggest opportunity. I mean, he's likely to see the, the, the biggest role increase outside of Simon's and be, have the opportunity to impact more than just one side of the floor. Um, yeah. What do you think? I mean, uh, I mean, I guess. I never really, never mind. I don't want to ask that question because I was going to say, what do you think stats wise uh, Zach Collins would have to do to show up on the list? But I don't think it's going to be a stats thing. I think it's going to be more. Um, it's going to need what to be he both. does with those. It's going to need to be both. Like uh, uh, early in the season, I, I I projected what I, Zach in the minutes. I think he's going to get what he would do. And I, I had him, I think, as a, like eight and nine. Uh, if he's going to make a list like this, I think he's going to have to be closer to 12 and 10. Uh, with a couple of blocks in there and it's going to have to be about he's going to have to have like the Gobert impact where he does things on the defensive and that stand out so dramatically that you're like yeah his his production numbers are, are good but he's much more impactful than just his um and that's where you look at like a guy like Sabonis his presence is going to have to somehow change the game mm-hmm. so um yeah we'll see about that um, I think we should probably wrap it up here and, um, it was great to talk to you and it was awesome to talk to Travis and we didn't tell people where they could find Travis on social media. So I'm going to look up his handle really quick while I'm doing that. Why don't you tell people where they can find you? You can find me on social media at D Meringue at D M A R A N G. Uh, on Blazers Outsiders Thursday nights in the offseason at 6.30 on NBC Sports Northwest with Joe Shi- Joe Simons, Shane Brennan, and myself. Joe, Joe Shimons. I know. Joe Shimons sounds like a pretty interesting dude. Yeah, no, he, he is. Um, he's, he's the Blazers Outsiders' most interesting man alive. Um, but, uh, yeah, other than that, we've got some cool stuff coming up. Uh, we have some more people coming on both the show and the pod here in the next couple of weeks. And uh, something to look forward to uh, throughout the season of uh, – been a terrible co-host and I've been texting back and forth with Travis during the show. And Travis has uh, gone from saying, Hey, you know, if you want to have me on during the sh- or during the season, when I'm on the road, be great to, you better have me on during the, during the season on the road. So we may be able to have Trav on for some, uh, some road trip reports and uh, get some feedback straight from the, from the court. So something else to look forward to uh, this upcoming season. What do you got, Tara? Wonderful. Well, you can find our guest Travis Demers on Twitter at guess what? It's really clever at Travis Demers. <laughs> so I guess I didn't have to look it up. And you can find me on Twitter at TCB Biggs. You can find the Hoops and Talks podcast as well at Hoops and Talks. Uh, we had Jamie Hudson on this week and it was so fun and delightful to talk to her. So if you haven't already listened to that, you should go back and listen to it. Wait, wait, wait. Jamie Hudson was fun and delightful. This is hard for me to believe. I know. Tara. Isn't it shocking? Because <laughs> she's usually just, you know, so like quiet and subdued. But no, we had we had a great time. We played the game of Would You Rather, 
and I came up with all these questions where we had to decide like, you know, what our preference was. And I had a really hard time coming up with the questions because I was like, oh, this is going to be super easy. This is going to be super easy. And it turned out they were not easy. So <laughs> we achieved what we wanted to achieve, which was to have like some discussion and debates on some stuff. Um, but yeah, that'll do it for this week. Thanks everybody for listening. If you like what you hear and you haven't already, please go to uh, subscribe to the Blazers Edge podcast and your favorite podcast feed. We are uh, so happy that you listen to us and we'll talk to you later. Thanks. Bye. Bye.